Very good evening to everyone. I'm so glad to be able to share with you the Lord's Word this evening. Now, as you know, we are beginning a new series of study and sermons with regards to mental wellness. And so why do we want to embark on this series? We could have done many other studies in anticipation for Christmas. But I think one of the things that we wanted to show together is, you know, there are so many together, but I want to, th- to think of three. The first one is about awareness. That we just want to awareness together about mental awareness. The second thing is stigma. Well, the reason is because many of us, when we have mental wellness difficult, we do not want to tell people. It is some sense of shame. But here, as God's people, we want to tell people that there is nothing together. We want to be able to, not wanting to, for you to show about how mental uh, awareness itself. We want to help people and to know that all of us are sane. And that's one of the reasons. The third reason also, the reason why we want to do this series because we want the whole community here to be a safe community. That anyone, not just only about mental illness itself, but whatever weaknesses or struggles that you have, you know that this place is a safe community that you can share with people, you can be honest, and to know that nobody is going to judge you, but to journey with you where the Lord leads. For this message today, we're going to talk about depression. And the approach for us, or for me today, for about depression is topical, which means that we're not going to follow one particular passage, but we're going to go through four passages. I hope that um, um, it won't take too long, but I think it's important. Before I I begin, let me give you a few statistics about people who are suffering depression. Just depression only, um, excluding all other um, difficulty. 6% of the major depressed disorder, that means in depression there's a wide spectrum the worst kind, at least 6% of population in Singapore suffers from that. That doesn't even include the other um, mental uh, disorder too. And of that number of people, three quarters of these people who are suffering from depression do not ask for help. Depression is considered the common call among psychiatrists and psychologists. That's how common it is. In fact, it is the common disorder that that brings people to the psychiatry or the psychologist itself. Now, for all of us here, especially for those who have done the study itself about depression, you will also realize that the people who have depression, there are 80% of the people who suffer depression, they do not know about it or they don't show about it. 80%. And so for us as a church, we want to be sensitive to this. We want to help people, and not just only for depression, but for all the other mental disorder or illnesses that they have. So let's begin here. What is depression? Depression is actually a clinical term 
in modern day term, but it is not found in the Bible itself. So if you were to find the word depression in the Bible itself, you won't be able to find. Yet, there are many expressions of depression in the Bible that we can see. We have people who express that in one thing, going through a very difficult and dark times, like the Psalms, like David, Elijah, Job, even Jesus himself too. So we do know. But yet, at the end of the day, we know that there are many things that the Bible can tell us and help us in understanding depression for us. Now, how should we approach depression? And the key word is the holistic way. Holistic means that we don't just approach it physically, we also approach it spiritually. Now, what happened is that over time, some have understood it as only being one or the other, either only physical and ignore the spiritual, or only spiritual and ignore the physical. You will realize the more you study about depression, there are many causes of depression, many. Some is genetic, some is environmental, some could be internally a struggle itself. But for us in ARPC, we want to be able to help others and to journey with other people to understand that this is a holistic. That means we work together with the medicals part and we also work together with the spiritual part because the Word of God is sufficient itself. Now, why we don't depress, um, we don't separate between spirit and physical because it is always to be one. The physical is as sacred as the spiritual. Don't forget that. There is no dichotomy, no separation between the physical and the spiritual. That is why John Gospel, in the first chapter, he was battling against that. In John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only one Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So being sacred is being both spiritual and physical. That is important. And that's why we want to approach this issue of mental wellness holistically. Before we begin Psalm 77, I just want to share with you that personally, I have suffered depression too. It was 11 years ago and it was so bad that I thought of committing suicide and I already planned what I was going to do. But I know that every one of us or some of us here who are depressed, it is unique for each one. Nevertheless, especially for those who have never suffered or experienced before, I hope to be able to shed you some light to understand what it means to go through that darkness and the difficulty itself. Let's turn to Psalm 77. In Psalm 77, the psalmist himself was going through a very difficult time. In fact, if you look at verse 1 all to verse 9, you will see there is a great struggle there is a lot of difficulty. And his difficulty and trouble was external and likely internal. How do we know that it is external? Because verse 2, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. So obviously there was a trouble that was causing him that he moved, that motivated him to seek the Lord. But yet that's the, not all, the only source of trouble too. His trouble came from internally because later on we see that how he Struggling with the Lord, verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased and his promises 
at an end for all, all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? It is very likely also there was an internal source that's causing Him to be expressing depression. It could be a relationship with the Lord because when He talks about how when He remembers God, verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. So this person, this psalmist, was going through a very difficult time. And in his difficulty, he was asking a lot of questions in himself about especially not the trouble externally, but his relationship with God himself. It was so difficult. Now, when you are going through a time of depression, it affects how you see things. It is a lens that you see how you look at other things and even your own relationship with God too. Now for this psalmist, he was struggling really hard. And his struggling and his difficulty caused him to somewhat doubt God himself. That why God is so angry with him. Now, we have no idea what exactly is specifically the issue, but we do know that there is a level of sub subjectivity itself. That because of what he's feeling, it affected how he understood and saw God. And I can tell you that when you are going through depression, when you are going through the darkness itself, you think that God is a way of silence. It affects your relationship with God because you think that God is angry with you. You think God is not helping you. You think God has gone away from you. It is something that you cannot escape. And I can tell you that when I went through, I felt that too. I thought God was away from me and I was being punished. And God's love was limited. God's grace was limited too. And we know this psalmist was struggling. You see, and, and you can see that this is so personal for him. Verse 1, I cry aloud to God. He will hear me. Verse 2, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan when I meditate. My spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me medita meditate in my heart. Then my spirit gave a diligent search. You can sense that this was something so personal. It was so difficult. And I, when, I, when I was going through a depression time, I couldn't sleep. And at times you couldn't sleep, you just didn't know what to do. And at times when you could sleep, when you wake up, you still feel as equally as weak or as no energy at all despite that. But yet, this is not the end of the psalm. There was a watershed. There was a watershed that changed this psalmist. Remember, he is going through a depression. And it doesn't mean that he overcame his depression. But what it means is that he changed his mind. He changed his perspective. What he did was that verse 10. Verse 10 is where the watershed came. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Then he begins. What made the difference for this psalmist is that one thing that was very important, and his third word called works. Works. 
Look, verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Verse 14, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. What happened is that instead of just remaining at the subjectivity of his feelings, of his condition and circumstances, and yes, it is true and it's valid, he didn't stop there. He went back to the past. He went back to something that was not subjective, but objective, which was what God did in the past. You see, if you look in the psalm itself, you will realize that now he's no longer looking about personal, but national itself. He talks about verse 13. What God is great like our God. Verse 14, you have made known your might among the peoples. Verse 15, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Verse 20, you led your people. What happened that this psalmist did that helped him to not just remain out of his current situation was to think about his back, think about the past, what God did, what God did in the past. In the Old Testament especially, the one event that was an anchor for all the Jews to remind them who God was is Exodus itself. Exodus was where God saved them, loved them, showed them, and redeemed them from slavery and brought them up to to a new nation itself. So this was a very important event for a lot of Jews, especially when they're going through a difficult time. They want to remember who God is. They remember that. And because of that, he helped him to become not positive, but to find hope, to realize the question that he raised in verse 7, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be foreverable? No. Has his steadfast forever ceased? No. Has his promises at an end for all time? No. Has God forgotten to be gracious? No. Has he in anger shut up his compassion? No. How can he be so sure that the answer is all no, 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 no? Because he remembered what God did in Exodus. He remembered what God did to show his love for his people. He said, it can't be. God still loves me. God still is compassionate. God is still gracious to me. That was what was important that changed and helped this psalmist itself. And this is something that can give us a clue for both those of us who are suffering or suffered and those who are not suffered. That when the times when we go through difficult, our current situation do not give us the full picture of who God is. Yes, it may be difficult. It may be troublesome. It may be painful. But it is not the full picture of who God is. What we need to do is to remember our anchor point. Now, for the Jews, the anchor point of memory was the Exodus. But for us as Christians, what is our anchor point to remember? The cross. The cross whereby what Jesus did on the cross, that is the where we remember how much we loved, how much we have been loved, how much what God did for us that He may save us. And that's why it is important for us that we ought to remember the work of Christ so that by remembering what Christ did on the cross, being raised from the grave and up to the throne of heaven, we remember and we can see the power that God gave us and how much God's love is for us. 
And the main point for us for this, this evening, the main point that I want to share with you is this. That in the darkest of moments, remember what Christ did for you. In the darkest of moments, remember what Christ did for you. Just as for the psalmist, as he was going through his darkest moment, he didn't stop just thinking about his present situation. He remembered what God did for his nation hundreds of years ago, and that helped him, helped him to find hope. And so for us, there are two passages that I want to focus on. One passage is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and Romans chapter 8. So let's begin looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The version that I have quoted on the slide itself is ESV. So can you have the PowerPoint slide, 2 Corinthians chapter 12? So it's a bit too small. If you have your digital um, Bible, please uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. Allow me to read it. So to keep me from, being, from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There are many things that, I'm, that we can learn from here, but specifically for our, for our message today, I just want to quickly share with you one. The purpose of the thorn that was given to Paul was to prevent him from being too conceited. Why? Because he was given a lot of divine revelation. And so it was critical to the Lord himself that Paul remain humble and be fully aware of his weaknesses. Remember, it was critical to God himself that Paul remain humble and be fully aware of his own weaknesses. But more important, it was for Paul to experience the power of God. It was important because it was for Paul to experience the power of God. Now, one of the questions that we want to always raise, or many people raise, is what is the thorn? The thorn is given by the Lord through a messenger of Satan. We have no certainty what it, can, what it is, no certainty. It could be a physical illness, a spiritual attack. Some people even think that it could be depression itself. We think, or rather, sorry, I think it is highly likely that it is a physical issue because it is a thorn in the flesh. The phrase talks about the flesh, so it does tell us that it is something that is hurting him physically and affecting him in his ministry, that he thinks that he cannot serve better because of this thorn. But I am glad that in many ways that it has not been mentioned to us or maybe even intentionally left out vague about the thorn because the ambiguity of the thorn allow us to identify 
with Paul concerning our own thorns. And I'm sure some, if not all of us, have a thorn in our flesh. That could be, not necessarily always, could, could be from the Lord. And what was Paul's response? He responded in verse 8. He pleaded with the Lord three times. It was something so, not just discomforting, but it affected him so terribly that he prayed to the Lord three times, almost as if it is a reflection of how Christ himself pleaded with his Father to remove this cup three times. It was something that was so difficult that he could not stand it. However, we see the Lord's response, and that to me is more important than anything else. When Paul prayed, God's response showed us a few things. One, his prayer was heard. His prayer was heard. I can tell you that when I went through depression, it was really, really painful and difficult. And especially for people who are non-sufferers, when people ask for help, finally, they have prayed a lot. And they have really read the Bible a lot themselves too. And sometimes we forget when we have not suffered, that they, we think that need, they need more, more prayers, they need more Bible, stu- Bible study or God's Word. I can tell you that when I was going through, going through depression, I was praying almost every day. And I was looking for God's Word to find something to relieve me. But yet it was, there was silence. And for Paul, not that it was, there was silence, but surprisingly to him, his prayer was heard, but there was not answered. The answer that he was looking for was not the one that was given to him. Instead, it was told to him that the thorn will not be removed because it is serving God's purposes. Now, have you ever thought that the thorn in your life and to stretch it, the depression in your life could be solved, could be serving for God's purposes? I know, as I mentioned earlier on, it, all of us go through uniquely, but I can tell you, hindsight, it was purposeful for me. It was purposeful for me because God had to strip away of everything that I had. Many of you would not know that before I came to ARPC, I was actually serving as a pastor in my previous church. And I was doing relatively well. But not to go into details, but many things happened and things were stripped away from me. My ministry, my reputation, my friendship, everything. There was nothing left for me. For Paul, God said this, I'm not going to remove this thorn away from you, Paul, but I'm going to give you my grace. What does he say? In verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The grace of God was given to Paul so that Paul will not depend on himself, but on the power of God. And that's what I learned as I was serving as a pastor, that it is not about me, it's about the power of God. 
And here God saying the word sufficient, he was trying to show Paul that nothing can overwhelm or overcome the grace of God. There will never be a time that the grace of God is insufficient. Never. And the thorn is not a disability for Paul, but an opportunity. It is not a disability for Paul, but an opportunity to experience the power of God. What if the only way to experience the power of God in your life is through the thorn in your flesh? Have you ever considered and wondered that? You may have asked for the power of God for many things, for many good reasons. But have you wondered how will it come through? Will it come through when you are always successful, doing very well, having wonderful praise from people in your ministry? Or have you ever thought that the power of God will only flow through the thorn that is in your flesh? That the thorn is the channel of the power of God. For Paul, this was something that he needed to learn. That grace is not just something that is an unmerited favor that we've been saved, but grace is the power that sustains our new life. And this grace, which together with the power of God, only operates in the condition of weaknesses and not strength. It means that when you and I are the weakest, that is where the power of God is available to us. But when you are the strongest, the power of God will not come to you. And this is something that I needed to learn when I was going through my depression. When everything was stripped away and I was going through a very difficult time, I finally realized that faith is not a performance-based faith but a grace-based faith. Because when I was going through depression, every day was difficult. Living every day was painful. Getting up was painful. Looking at myself in the mirror was painful. I didn't care about how people thought about me. I didn't care about how others, how others would see me. I didn't care how I looked. I just didn't care. This was not important to me. I just, I just didn't want to live anymore. And as one who is, I mean, I've always been seen myself as a, perf- as a very positive thinking, a thinker itself and always very happy and, and joyful. I never thought that I'll ever want to, co- to commit suicide. And the reason why I wanted to commit suicide and I planned the, the way I wanted to commit suicide was because Living was so painful, every day was so painful, existing was so painful that the only way that I thought to relieve, to release me out of this pain was to die. But here, God was speaking to Paul that this was an opportunity for you to experience the power of God. And for me, until I realized that, I didn't know that this was an opportunity that this was something that Christ was showing me that I had nothing to offer to Him. Because when you are in depressed, when you are so down and dark, you have no mood to perform. 
You have no mood to do anything at all. Your productivity falls, your friendship with other people fails, any, everything. You, you are just doing nothing and you're, you have become the worst state of yourself, the worst kind of person that nobody wants to be with. And you realize that, you know what? God's power wants to pour into your life. And you realize that is what God wants you to know, that it is not about you, it is about Him. And what was Paul's response? But no, before I talk about Paul's response. So the idea here is that the greater the weakness, the greater the power of God. The power of God and the weakness of man is a perfect fit. Now the power of God is also very, very specific. We don't have time, but it's about the power of Christ at the crucifixion and at the resurrection. If you want to experience the power of God, it's in your weakness. And so what was Paul's response when he finally realized, what was his response? Pray again that he would have the thorn removed? No. Verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses in insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's response that it is for the sake of Christ that I'm doing this and I'm not going to be ashamed of my weakness. I will not just accept, I will boast about it. I will tell people, I'm weak, I'm weak. It doesn't matter because the power of God is going to flow through me. He accepts his condition. He's contented because he knows that this was the way to experience the power of God. And for me, after being stripped of all the things this was not just an experience for me, the power of God, but it was where I experienced Christ. When everything was taken away, all my ministry, all my teaching, everything, at the end of the day, I realized the person standing next to me was Christ alone. And so, brothers and sisters, do you see the weakness in your life as a disability or an opportunity? The next passage I want to turn to is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. This is a series of questions that Paul raised. He raised at least five questions here. Allow me to read. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than any, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's raising a series of questions. Who can be against us? Will God graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge to God's elect? 
who is to condemn? And do you realize for the last question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, has the longest answer? It was something very important that Paul needed to elaborate to help us to remember something important. In fact, you could almost see in a reverse way that the first four questions was the building up about God's love, how God gave us Christ and what Christ did on the cross. And so he is even showing us to the extreme level that even death, that if God allow us to die, maybe possibly as martyrs or for what reason that he deemed it is necessary, the love of God will not separate us. Paul personally experienced all these difficulties, but he is certain nothing will separate us from the love of God. To even expand further, not just death, but for ourselves personally right now, even at our worst state. I mean, what, what I mean by that? Let me explain. I know that Christ loves me when I'm at my best, but how about when I'm at my worst? When I am at my worst, I have nothing to offer, nothing at all. And so once again, I also realize that again, faith is not performance-based, but faith that is based on the love of Christ. Let me to explain what I mean by that. My ex-girlfriend, who is my wife right now, she's my ex-girlfriend, right? She was with me when I went through my depression 11 years ago. And she saw the worst in me. She saw me how I was when I was going through depression. And she has never seen me like that before. And because we were very close, I did not hide it from her too. She saw me when I was angry, demanding, selfish, impatient. And she still stayed with me throughout the whole year, about a year that I went through this ordeal. And during that whole year, I had nothing to contribute to that relationship at all. She was the one doing all the giving. All I did was take. She gave me all her time, her energy, her love, her sacrifice, and I just took and took and took. But that's also how I know that she loved me so much. And how I know that her love for me was real and genuine and true because she saw the worst in me and she still didn't stop loving me. That's how you know God loves you. Not when you are the best, when you're always successful, but when you're still at the worst. He still loves you so much. And that is why Paul says, Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Not even your worst behavior or even your mental struggle. Nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Do not allow the lies of the evil one to tell you that you are not loved or that you're not worthy. That's rubbish. Just as the psalmist Remember the past, what God did for his nation, Israel, in the Exodus. You remember what did Christ did for you on the cross. He did it for you to show you how much he loves you. 
And so, why I share these two passages? Because when I went through depression, this was something that was important to me and gave me hope and helped me to sustain through and not choose to take my life. Because I experienced the power of God and I experienced the love of Christ through my wife. So what does it mean for you and I as a church? I shared that the objective of why we want to do this study is because we want to not just create awareness, overcome the stigma, yeah, say stigma correctly, <laughs> but also to create a community of believers, a safe community. The last passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace. How are we to relate one another as a church, you and me right now, in ARPC? We are to walk. We have a calling as a church, and we are to walk that calling. And did you get this verse in verse two, uh, sorry, verse one? That calling is a common calling, meaning to say, the calling doesn't differentiate between each person. It's the same calling. The calling to walk with one another relationally, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, and maintaining the unity of the Spirit. That is your calling and my calling, both sufferers and non-sufferers. And, con and to continue... Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, mixed the body grows so that it builds up in love. Do you ever, do you ever wonder that for the whole body of Christ, for the whole body of ARPC specifically, Everyone has a part to play, both those who are weak and those who are strong, those who are struggling and those who are not, those who are suffering and those who are not. Do you ever realize and wonder that we help one another to grow? Because if not, then when will we be able to express and practice love? To bear one another, to show humility, to show gentleness, to show patience. Every one of us is fighting a great battle. Some could be in mental aspects, some could be others. But nevertheless, we as a church have a part to play to help one another to grow, to become not just Christ-like, but to grow into the body of Christ. This is God's will. This is God's plan. And so before I end, allow me to address the sufferers. There's a quote by this person that I think says it out well for us. The quote is by this person called Charlie McCassie. 
He says, asking for help is not giving up. It is refusing to give up. Asking for help is not giving up. Instead, it is refusing to give up. For those who are suffering, you are not alone. You are not. Christ is with you, and the church of Christ, his body is with you. But as hard as it is, sometimes you have to make the first move and ask for help. You have to make the first move and ask for help. And we are here to help you. When I say help, I don't mean to solve the problem and to have a quick fix solution, but we are here to journey with you. For the non-sufferers, following from what I said, we are not asking you to solve people's problem and try to find a solution and try to get over and done with and then quickly find another case. No. We are asking you to journey with those who are suffering. Because I can tell you that when I was going through depression, I didn't need anybody to help me solve because at the end of the day, the problem was something that others could not solve for me, for my situation. It was something I needed to go through. In the whole world, we are the last bastion as a church of love, of grace, and truth. If we fail to show the love of Christ here, right now, then where shall the people go to find out Christ's love? We need to be a community of safe people. Now, when I say safe, meaning to say that when someone comes to you and tells you that I have a mental illness or I have a weakness, it is the person being vulnerable. It is the person showing that the person is weak. But I only dare to show my weakness and my vulnerability to you when I know it is safe, when I know I can trust you. But if I can't trust you, if the community is not someone, some, a place that I can trust, I will never show, even though I'm crying for help deep in my heart. And that's why as a church, we need to be a safe community, a safe community that we love people. It takes a whole community to journey with one another because we can't do it by ourselves. Because it's not just only Zihui and my wife who went through with me, it was also my family too also. So I pray and hope that this would help us to just be aware, to know that there are people among us who are suffering. And they are suffering quietly because they think this is not a safe place. We need to show them otherwise. And for those who are suffering, we are here. But sometimes you need to be the first one to ask for help. Christ loves you, we love you, and I love you. And we want to be here for you. And I'm so glad that this year that our church has begun a mental wellness ministry itself. There are people here who can help you and the pastors here too. Let us pray.